You're tuned in to the Bruh's Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to part two of this three-part discussion on Boya J. Ferris, America, Baby, a Black Man. Enjoy. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. I'd like to welcome to the podcast for the second half. Fresh off the road, travel six hours just to be a part of the discussion. My best friend, other half, Dr. Teresa Givens. Hi, big fan. You looking mighty ice cold today, Teresa. I was about to say, sorry, I'm late. I just got off the road. So happy Founders Day to the amazing women of Alpha Kappa Alpha, Sorority Incorporated. Um, A very special um, shout out to where I was made, which is Gamma Rho Chapter at Jackson State University. And I just left Orlando with the lovely ladies of Psi Theta Omega. So it's been a very long day for me. Thanks for being here. here. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. But thank you for recognizing because I don't think the men were like, oh, that was that great. So you had a long day. (laughs) Teresa, we always appreciate you. You What you talking about? Exactly. See, he don't care. Yeah. But um, today we had... we. We were Greek goddesses, so this is my okay. Greek goddess ensemble. I didn't have time to change, sorry. Oh, so, please don't apologize. Um, no, you It's the man. No, no apologies. To it. I just want to make mention. Um, no, no apologies necessary. I, I just was confused because I, I thought I was speaking Green Day. I, I was just curious. That's like a goal. I was just yeah, curious. Yeah, that's it. You know, yeah. Yeah. Jade. Um, you know, we extra. So, you know, pink and green was not enough. We had to be Greek goddesses today as well. So, um, but anyway, so we're, we're, we're going to go because my husband just asked me, what's my thoughts on this book? And even though I would love to be petty, I'm not. But what I will say is I feel exactly about this book like... Harvey and Lennon felt about the last book we read. Ooh. Amen. Ooh. Really? I need exactly. contact. No, Teresa. You thought Boy was lame. You thought Boy was lame. Are you so, feeling that way because of your re- revenge? Are you feeling I, that way because you were triggered by the last book? Are you? No, no, no. Not okay. at all. Okay. It was so funny while I was listening to this book because mm-hmm. I could not understand what Lenny and Harvey felt last month. And so for you all that were not here, Harvey and Lenny said that the book last month was the same thing over and over and over. And so as I listened to this book, it was the same thing over and over and oh, even the same names. He used the same examples. He's the same people over and over and over. So I felt like this could have been an essay. Um, that was 
25 pages long. Uh, would have been a good essay. <laughs> to be fair, I listened, I listened to the audiobook at 1.4 so that I'd have it done in time for the record. So I yeah, might have felt that way if I read it, but having it read to me super fast, and there was some repetition, but that is kind of how racism is. It's just always coming at you. It is, which means it could have been an essay. 25 pages long. Boom. This is how you read it. Is there anything that was different about the racism to him being an African Somalian? Okay. All right. So. I don't want to, I, I, I really hate to be critical of people and their human experiences. I, I say this over and over. So I'm not very comfortable critiquing his work in that sense, but um, I don't feel like his book was solely about what he said his book was about. And maybe he doesn't even know that, but it seems like to me, he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and racism was his trigger. Amen. Or do you feel like you're so accustomed to it that it just didn't move you because you grew up in it? Hmm. Um, I felt like it moved me because we deal with racism, but we also shake it off and keep it moving. Um, because if you do not... You cannot survive here. And I get that he had a different perspective, but I think that his different perspective also led him to have post-traumatic stress disorder. I mean, he lived through a horrendous time that he always compared and said that racism was worse than that. You know, I've not had bombs and seen people shot in front of me in that sense, like that before. Um, I've, I've seen things like that, but not war. So I don't know. I just, I feel like all of the things that he went through got compounded and exacerbated by the racism that he was experiencing in this country. But, um, and I don't want to say now, that his racism was benign. What I do want to say is that it wasn't as bad as he made it. I, it well, just... <laughs> I, I think this. I think our parents prepared us to deal with it, just like his father prepared him to be a nomad and to fight, right? So his dad taught him that. His dad sent him to the valley to live with his grandmother his dad taught him about war. His dad taught him all this, just like our parents taught us how to deal with this system, right? So, you know, for him to, it's just not what, it's not the war he thought he right, would have to fight, right. right? Yeah. This is the war we know we have to fight from the time we were kids. Our parents taught us about how to fight this war. He was taught to fight a different war. He came right? here. He was young. Mm-hmm. Um I, it, mm. So counterpoint. Nope. So how used to racism? Because you're saying that uh, we push through it, but should we? Like, how used to racism should we be? Like, how much is an acceptable amount before you're like, wait a minute, 
I need to push back because he's been through war. Yes. And I would agree, like he's definitely got some PTSD. But when does it and but aren't what there's all different types of war, like, you know, reading the art of war, you know, life is war. So Mm -hmm. should he Mm -hmm. have accepted it or should he have fought? No, he should have fought, but he was not the type. He really didn't have very much fight in him. In this book, it was a lot of complaining. I mean, it was it, there wasn't any active movement on his part to make his plight any better. And the best part of this book was... The end when his mother basically told him that I didn't get that. I feel like his mother was very much encouraging of him. Like she seemed to be really proud of him. And, And to me, she was proud of him. But she also said to him in no uncertain terms that, you know, you are. an. she said you are an educated person and you have choices. You know, she kept saying to him, you know, this is your country. You are an African, but this is your country. You have choices. And he never seemed to exercise his choices of fighting back. It was almost like he picked the wrong battles. You know, even in his the beginning, he talked about being afraid of being pulled over. But yet every time he got upset, he jumped in the car and went to speeding like you couldn't be too afraid. Mm-hmm. It's his trauma. <laughs> well, he never said he was speeding. He, he said he was driving. Every point, he was going 100 miles he, per hour. Yeah, I remember yeah. that part. Yes. <laughs> I remember that part. Yeah. Yes. He was speeding. But the other thing, you know, his mother, his mother, he said he also went against his mother in writing the book. She didn't want him to write it. She loved America because America welcomed them from refugee Somalia. She did, but she did tell him to write. She told him at the very at the end that she should he should write about his experiences, um, and that he should not feel because he said that he felt trapped by America's original sin. And she said, "You should never feel trapped. You're a writer." Mm. I loved his mother at the end. I was like, "Hallelujah, thank you." I would like to um, read her. She book. said all the things that I wanted. I would to like say. to read her book. For sure. But I feel like in a way I have read her book from Somali women who have survived that come to America. But Somali women say the same thing, too. America's worse than the genocides that they survived. I was reading a Sudanese woman's. uh, She had a similar experience where she came over here and was like, wow, I don't know how American black people do this. This is so much worse than even watching the like killing squads, like take out my family. Like, I don't know how they put up with this. Because <laughs> yeah, Harvey, what, you're so so a lot, Harvey. what is it? Insidious. Because, because I, because I, because I hear Teresa, first of all, because like I stated before, I had some apprehension about the book because I'm vested in the story and I, and I didn't kind of want to relive the same old, same old. Right. And, to the point that we've established, it is the same old, same old. If, if you're talking about living here from 77 to now, your story is going to look just like Boyer's if you look like us, right? It don't matter how we tell it, right? It's going to be the same old, same old. And so I, I hear I hear that part in, in what Teresa's saying um, around, you know, Boyer's story is, is just like any, any other black man's story. Um, and I'm just laughing at the fact that... Um, 
she taking a dig at us from last week on how we how we thought about no, another, I'm not. another book. But 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 the sentiment is shared, right? It is the same old story. And 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 also to 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 uh Teresa's point, and I think Mark, you know, I think we talked about this earlier as well. Just like, yeah, we we fight differently. Those of us who grew up in the States, we fight differently. And so, you know, how 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 we endure is different. And and what Boya how he thought he had to use his words. I don't know that I always would have said anything. You know what I mean? I would have been like, man, come on, bro, let's go. You know, we, we, we ain't talking about it right now. This, this this ain't the time, you know? And um, so I think that's the part, you know, we, we've talked about this so many different times in, in different books. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just laughing at Teresa. That's what they, that's all that is. Okay. <laughs> well, I, but I, I do want to clarify and say, uh, because you two don't know me that well, but I'm not saying that this story is not a story that should be heard. And I'm not saying that his story is not a good story. What I'm saying is from the beginning of this book to chapter 28, it was very repetitive. Um, it, it The same themes, the same, you know, his experience. I mean, it was all wrapped around the same things and a lot of it was I felt like he needed some coping mechanisms he needed to deal with of course his trauma and also deal with America it it was almost like he found himself in two places but he never really tried to bridge the two places he didn't take the advice of anyone he was always an outlier in everything so I just kept looking at it like are you going to ever take somebody's help are you ever going to listen to what the people around you are saying because it would make your life a lot easier because we all learn and You know, he did come early enough to see and learn. You know, one of the most valid points was the harassment of his brother. Now that that was valid. That was great. That was a wonderful example of how we can be persecuted. And he wasn't even here. His brother was already in Africa. But when we had to deal with the other things that I felt like, I was just going, okay, not again, not again, not Teresa, again. I, I'll say this, Kat. I'll say this, Teresa. I felt like, to your point about him not taking action, Kat, I'm all about de- deconstructing the system, but I, I still think we got work to do here, and I feel like, you know, he missed that part of the Black experience, right? Like, I think he got, mm-hmm. I think he got very well an understanding of what white racism is and how it operates, but I do think he missed some of that perseverance that we understand because because it's not just it is trauma informed, but we understand it and we have created ways to navigate. And I think he missed that part of our experience. And um, I think I think that would have been good for him. So I do agree with Teresa in that. So in that how space. do we na- maybe I missed it. How do we navigate it? Let me write that down. I mean, I mean, don't don't miss I'm still me. I struggling. No, 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 no. You go struggle. I don't think navigating <laughs> and struggling are not the same. <laughs> I don't, I don't so think when do not the same. so is it our is it our destiny to always struggle with it? Because to me, my thing, I what I liked about him was the warrior mentality of like, I'm not gonna take this shit. So I I, 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 I like that 
because to me, like with all the the people who can and I, I really appreciate the fact that he always said people who think they're white instead of calling them white right, people. Right, right, right. I'm glad he figured that part of it out, because to me, the good news is for everyone listening to this, white people don't exist. How wonderful is that to realize? Like when I finally figured out like white people don't whiteness doesn't exist. That's a made up concept for so we can rank the races or whatever, which also don't exist. That was extremely freeing for me. So once I realized that they're just running a game on me that I don't have to play. Boom. That's it's much easier. But since everyone else is still playing, I'm still in it. I think that's navigating right there. Huh. What you just said, mm-hmm. right? How I we did. come to our own our own self awareness is navigation. Cause you're gonna cause you can't not deal with it. I don't think I think that's exactly. the reality. The reality is you can't not deal with it. So the, the navigation part present. is how do you it understand yourself? How do you how do you deal with it is how you navigate. So I think you what you talked about is it. And it. Yeah. And you're right. And it's going to be different for Absolutely. everyone because, you know, on this podcast, we're all very different and we've all dealt with racism in different ways. We're in different age groups. We've lived in different places. We've had different experiences. And, you know, I look at the author and, you know, we say, well, he came over here. and But you have to really think about every except for inherent, you know, um, transfer. Our children, mine especially, I would say until they were seven or eight, they, you know, they had no idea. They didn't know that they had to play some type of racist game. They didn't know white people, black people, you know, we lived in a bubble and it was easy for them. So I can see how a lot of people grow up and they're sheltered from that. And then they get somewhere and then they're like, Oh my God, I'm black. You know, so that doesn't bother me when I see that, you know, I, What bothers me is when people don't navigate. And I guess we're using that word now. It's because as you feel and get an experience, you learn to navigate. And as you learn to navigate, you have to make things easier for yourself or you will drive yourself insane or uh, find yourself in some type of depression or predicament that you do not want to be in. And or become the attorney that uh, he went to see that told him, you know, hey, and I, I understood her advice. I do not agree with everything that she said, but I understood and I knew that my husband was going to be like, oh, there you that's Owens. <laughs> but I understood her viewpoint. Now, what I didn't agree with was the way that she got into her role of, look, forget about it. You know, I like I married this white man. My kids, we're white. We're you know, we live like this and you need to just learn how to do the same. Okay, so I didn't agree with that advice, but I did agree with what she said when she said you have got to find out what it is that you need to do. And you have to learn how to navigate, since that's the word that we're going to use tonight. The code word 
when we're navigating <laughs> our, is it a navigation that with the ultimate goal of dismantling the oppression because sometimes I don't, don't want to navigate because no, 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 you're no. navigating to survive. That is another, I think that gets you in the trick bag. I feel like that's another okay, trick absolutely. of the enemy because yeah. from, and I know you guys are going to read Kindred later, but Octavia Butler, when she's talking through her characters, when they're, when she's in the experience of slavery, all of a sudden you're like, wait, when did I stop acting? Like, when did I actually become submissive and docile? Like, when did this stop becoming a survival strategy and become my identity? But that doesn't navigation doesn't mean becoming submissive and docile. For For example, navigation, a lot of times it does. Okay, well, at least in Indiana, you guys are in Atlanta and that's great. In Indiana, but I lived in Orlando, Florida, where I was a minority. And I don't for like the word minority years. either. I always push back against that because black people, brown and black people, are yeah. most of the people on the planet. So I have a global view. The planet, but not Orlando. And that's Florida. not true either because most of those people, they always want to act like Native Americans and Hispanics, like Hispanics or something else. A lot of those people are black too. They like they otherize us so that they can say we're only thirteen percent. But that's why they gerrymander everything too, so that we don't have voting. Power. Power. First of all, what is an Hispanic okay. exactly? Well, you know what, but that's another thing. I so just, I we don't have decided to myself as a minority. And my my viewpoint is you are what you say you are. Because you can say that you're a girl if you're a boy. So whatever you say you are <laughs> is what you are. And no, that's not mm-hmm. anti anything. That's you are whatever you say you are. That's okay. trans. That's pro. You are whatever you say you are. And most people click the Caucasian checkbox in Florida when they can. If you can, they do. That's the way they navigate. Who am I to say that you can't navigate the way that you want to navigate? So that's something else altogether different. But what I was going to say is that um, my personal uh, navigation has been to control my surroundings. So I grew up um in a very diverse population and no, no, I didn't. I lied. I grew up in a very white population. And so when I had the choice, I chose, I went to an HBCU and that is when I, that was my very first decision to make my world colorful. The very second thing that I was able to do was work, for black companies, but everybody can't do that. But I've just been blessed to be able to navigate in a world that excludes people who discriminate against me. Now, do I go to the grocery store and somebody, you know, bump up and like, you know, niggers or whatever? Of course, but that doesn't bother me because that doesn't have anything to do with how I live, how I pay my bills, my children, that doesn't affect me. So as we navigate, we have choices. And the author 
never exercised his choices is what I saw. I think he respectfully, (laughs) it seems like your whole navigation was built on the things that bothered you. Bothered me? No, they were based. I'm saying like, like I no, hear me out. And I don't, I'm saying like, I grew up around white folks too. (laughs) And I also chose to go to an HBCU. But part of that was because you wanted to get away from that mess, right? You were tired of it. It wasn't that I was tired of it. It was that I wanted a new experience. I did. I'd never had it. What? But what about that experience made you say, I'm not going to stay in this experience? What made me was the fact that I would compete with them. And it was always, I could tell that it was always, here is your competition. Here is your competition. And it was fine. But I knew that I wanted to see something different. I knew the world was different from what I was seeing. And I wanted to see something new. Yeah, I can respect that. And once I saw something new, it made me realize that there's a whole world out here. Like you just said, the world, if you look at the world, we are the majority. Mm -hmm. But where we are living... We are not. I still disagree with that. And I think they're lying about me. those numbers. Yeah. Okay. That's but, real. We, we should, we should whatever the, the numbers are. You, you throw census to the census. I know. Out. I know. It's That's fake real. news, I guess. But Because we don't feel it. We, you know, I, I saw on, that <laughs> we were thriving when we were left alone. Facts. And I was intrigued by that. And I've... I've always looked to find black excellence. Is it always there? Uh-uh. But, you know, that that's what we all strive for. And we also want to make it better for others. And that that's another thing you want to. I feel like his co-workers were trying to make it better for him. They kept giving him the advice. They kept saying to him, you know, hey, this is what you need to do. This is what we. But they were still trying to figure it out themselves Teresa, as well. This is a strict- how hard would it be for you to navigate, though, if you're also trying to learn the language? Because mm. I think part of that with his family is was they didn't speak the language. So not only were they trying to understand the system, they were trying to understand the words used. Oh, and the system, they were Muslim, which also Jesus. makes a little bit. Yeah, because they were trying to they were focused mm, on becoming Americans more than anything. They were trying to be like just a model American, and like America sells this story of mm-hmm. exceptionalism and like idealism and almost a utopia for the world like you come here all you got to do is show up because we got all these jobs the taxes are equitable everybody treats everyone nice we fight for freedom look at this constitution we got where everybody got all these rights and that's what's sold but like and that's what they were trying to assimilate too but then as he's going on with his life more so probably than the mother Mm -hmm. They learned this shit ain't real. Santa Claus is fake. And his brother, for sure, who was a, a, a full-fledged American, even though he came here, he was born overseas. He grew up in America completely. Like he had no no memory of Somalia. So all he knew was America and he knew himself. Right. Like, not only is this shit fake, but I, like what a lot of black kids do, I'm not even going to participate and I'm going to be deviant. And that's what happened. Like that that's just what happens in a stressful situation. Either you want to comport. And yourself. he was but he wasn't even deviant. It was his white friends. How about that? <laughs> but yeah. It's America. Yeah, it was the white friends that were deviant, not him. 
True. I want right. to put. Uh, I want to go back to what we were talking about. Fight him fighting back. Um, another reason why he didn't fight back, um, how we would describe as fighting back, because he was always practicing a high level of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. He was always holding his emotions in. He speaks a lot about not showing how angry he really was when the police pulled him over, and I think that attributed to his uh, his physical deterioration, uh, his his uh, stress induced uh, irritable bowel syndrome, and all this other stuff. So he didn't fight back because he felt he respected the hierarchy. He didn't he didn't know that you could talk to your elders. When his elder, uh, when he went back to Somalia, no, actually, when his pop, when his dad died, and that guy called him a, a yeah, what is it? Yeah, Ogun, Ogun, or something. Yeah, but yeah. he didn't, he I, didn't you know speak what? out then. I, I, I so he I, doesn't have. He's he's not accustomed to speaking out. I disagree. Okay, only because I noticed it when I was reading that he would tend to speak out, and it to me always seemed like the wrong time it was Give like an example um well he felt you know he said to himself you know the, the elders and i do but he would have the 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 i guess when he would break it was always when i was like then is that when you decide to break not when that happened but when the cop has let you go the cop was done and now you decide yeah, that's, that's to snap when to now he really yeah. can hurt you. That's where you're supposed to snap because you're yeah, a you're you're no, you no, 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 the, the, the cop came back. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're so, right, you're right, okay. The cop, the cop but, but he, came back. And so at that point, though, he was free. It was done. It was done. But that's that's when he let it go. And I was like, oh, oh my God, but we you know just, what? you were you know, so, you, know what you're you were, you were going, you were going, you did everything that they asked. You were compliant, compliant, compliant through all the disrespect. And then once he let you go, then you said, oh, you know what? Like, and, and then you, thing. It, and it brought that, it back. That, that's the effects of psychological warfare though. Like you, there are certain things that you have to let it out. So it's like a pressure valve. You keep putting pressure, 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 and you're not trying to let it out. Pressure and then once tight. it explodes, you don't have any control over it anymore. So I get it. He's but been going through I like. I was just responding to yeah. what Dr. you Teresa, said about I his agree with you on that. I felt that too, gone. but I understand where he was coming from because I felt that frustration as well when he was doing that. I'm like, why run your mouth now? Like, just go. You got loose. Like, go. Now. Bye. But I understand. But you also. Know. Scream all the way home because you have yeah you have this older man with you you know you have so you much at stake now up. you've proven your point you you can still get arrested and then this poor old man doesn't right. have a way home it was irresponsible we're it all was irresponsible right can I bring up a but you know and it was a couple of things like that so I just was like this what? was this is Let's nothing to do with racism but um mm-hmm. he's a polio survivor. I like that he brought that yes. up in the book too, which is yeah. why whoever's listening to this, get vaccinated. This is why vaccines are good. Like I used to be an anti-vaxxer. And so it was actually reading people's accounts from 
um, from war torn countries, people who like walk miles and miles to get inoculations because they've watched their children die and um, from preventable illnesses that we just take for granted over here. So I was like, wow, that's that's crazy because a lot of the times too because you you start to distrust the medical establishment over here but i had to look at the international medical establishment and it's like oh yeah vaccines work so he talked about he talked about polio he he also caught malaria in the refugee camp as well as dengue fever so they had a lot going on i mean the brother survived a lot to come over here and then it's amazing to hear his, his recounts of his stories to get over here and the system is what broken. Yeah. Right. He, he talked about crying twice when his father died and when he lost his job. That was the only time the brother talked about shit. That really resonated with me too. Yeah. Like it resonated with me watching because <laughs> I watched my father die of lung cancer. So that really was a visceral, mm-hmm. his description. Cause I will say he's a good writer. Even if we don't like his like actual story, some parts of it, his the fact that he comes from a tradition of poetry and metaphor that really did come across because to me it was um, beautifully told. But when he was describing those last moments with his father, to me, like you know, might have dropped a thug tear. It was it was very well written. I, I um, he did describe the haircut. The, the lawn's looking like a fresh haircut twice. First, he said, it looks like the angels come at night and give the lawns freshly haircuts. And then towards the uh, the end, he said the lawns were freshly haircuts. And I would say, say, homie, you got to use another analogy. You can't he use the same He did that quite one. a few times. Some of that was... Oh, he said it quite a few times. <laughs> you yeah, listen to like, it on hey, Audible. It's, it's analogy, a whole lot of edits on Audible. But <laughs> to be <laughs> fair, in their tradition, repetition <laughs> is used a lot. I, I made a note that Ayan Hershey Ali, because she's a Somali writer, she said the same thing about her grandmother, that everything has always been oral storytelling. Mm-hmm. And the way you remember stuff is through repetition. And so I think even though repetition was sort of a motif, it, it does fit given the cultural context. But I don't Very think good. it. I don't think it fits in descriptive uh, writing. No, we, you mean on you paper? Know. Yeah. And I was paper. listening yeah. to it though, wow. so it's a different Tell medium. Nice. So listening yeah. to it is different right. than reading it for sure. Let me ask y'all this: Did y'all listen in chat in uh, part ten? The guy kept messing up. It was like. <laughs> and then saying it again and coming was, back. I, it was I thought something. that was an error on my end because I was, you, you know, like reading it. That out. was poorly edited. Yes. I hit him up on WhatsApp and I said, say, brother, if you send me the file, I can edit that for you. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that is unfortunate. Wow. Can I say too? Yeah, it, it happened a lot, though. It <laughs> happened <laughs> a lot. I'm Can I say this has been so enjoyable? Mark. I'm so sorry. I had a hard stop time. I should have said it before. I had a hard stop time of 1045. This has been so enjoyable. It really was 1030. Yeah. I just kept it Thank going. You. I have Thank another you. engagement. Yeah. If you can be, this is my day is still going, but I love to this so much. Wow. I hope you guys will have me back sometime. Sure. Did, did you have a lit bar? I'm sorry? Kat, did you have a lit bar? I don't bar? know what that is. Okay. Mm. Don't worry about Do it. Do you have a quote from a the book that you is, some, uh, is a literary phrase or uh, something it? that came out 
that you enjoyed that stuck out in oh, the book? Oh, let me see. Let me see in my notes. I might. Let me see. Lip bar. Maybe that monkey meat part that stuck out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh. All right. Thank, Thank you, Kat. Thank you. Yes. Appreciate Thank you. you. Nice to meet you. All right. <laughs> Do I have All right, this is the part of the podcast where we have lit bars. Um, Harvey, let's start with you. Did you, you have know, a lit bar? I got too many. I got too many. I got too many. I got too many. I needed the money. So All right, hold on. What's up? Before you go, since you have too many, because I don't want you to get my only one. Let me go. Let me go. I'm up. I'm up. Okay. I needed the money. So I persevered and kept my pain in my belly. That was that was that was how we getting started. Okay, hold on. Don't listen to him. This is Mama talking. Don't listen to him. We are not his kind, so we can't expect him to protect us. He can't be trusted. Listen to him respectfully because you have to. But afterwards, you must discard their words. Um, your destiny is one thousand years old. You can shape it, but you cannot alter it. Trust your intuition. Never carry any regrets. Learn from the past, but trust your future. Smiling is the best form of charity. God favors the prayers of the weak. All right, let me give it. Hold on, I'm, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna cut it off. Hold on, check this out. Come right away while I'm still on duty. That was the black chick at the jail. That was just so dope. I had to put that in there. Um, uh, when his little brother getting beat. This is America, mama. You can't do that. <laughs> okay, check this out. What frightens them is the memory of their own ruthless brutality. The judgment of their consciousness. The past always comes alive in the present. And with the passage of time, the history of race takes shape in each individual soul. Okay. Um, let me let me let me end on two more. Give me two more. All right. Um, um, here we go. Guns were meant for death. Guns create nothing and destroy everything. I said two more. Um, let me sneak one more in. Um, writers never feel trapped. They release their hurt on the pages. And last, Mama always said the right things. Oh, I like that, Harvey. I do too. You did pretty good, Mark. Did you ever? Did you get any uh, lit bars? Yeah, I liked when he said the anger and the brutality of this cop does not belong to him. It belongs to America. I mm. mean, that, that really hit home. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I don't have twenty like Harvey, but that was that was one that stood out to me. Oh, you had, you said you had a lot of them. You said you didn't. No, no, no. I said I didn't have twenty oh, okay, like Harvey, okay. but that was one that stood out. Donovan, I don't have one. Harvey said one that I remembered, but I didn't write down. But no, I don't have one to present. All right, I have one. It said you were born because the prayers of many people asking for a son for your father mm-hmm. brought you into the world. That's when he was asking about how he got here. Teresa? Okay, so, you know, I usually like to pick something uh, that resonates with me and also um, something that this one just stuck out because of how I felt about the book. But the mother said, aren't you tired of talking about Trump all the time? So that was my first lit bar. And then the one that resonated with me personally, though, was living your life is like putting your hand in the lair of a snake. But I expect you 
to overcome. And that's when his father was talking to him and about having having a child. So um, that was definitely that spoke to my soul. It does feel like that. Well, with that, um, let's just start with you, Teresa. Okay. Rate this book one through ten. Um, I'll rate the book a seven because I enjoyed the writing and it was a good book from his perspective. So very well written. I give it a seven. Okay. Um, Donovan? Um I'll give it an eight only because I read the audiobook and it had some errors in it. But overall it was a great story. Okay. Well, I'll give the book a nine. The reason why I give it a nine because I'm personally attached to it. Uh him and I were born the same year, a month apart. Um I love those Tupac references. If you if 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 you have a liking to Tupac, you you have a <laughs> You have a special place in my heart, so it just is what it is. You love um, Tupac. I'm I'm gonna go with you, Harvey. Then we're going to end with. Uh, I'm a, I'm gonna give it a ten, man. It was short. It captured how we feel about things, um, and it was very consistent with our lived experience. So it's a ten. Thank you, Mark, for throwing that at me, bro. And yeah, Mark- for sure, dog. Um, I give it a nine. Um, I, I, I felt a lot of uh, shared experiences with him, even though we grew up miles apart. Um, some of the same things his mother told him, my mother told me. Um, and so I really enjoyed the book. I, I'm hoping that my oldest son will read it. Probably not because he thinks everything I read is lame. But uh, maybe one day he'll put this book up and read it himself. You, you know what? Um, before I, I leave... I was thinking that uh, he was really, really affected by this racism thing because it was so new to him. And when he said that he was reading Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates, I thought, I was like, man, you probably need to read something a little bit lighter than that because this is going to do nothing but, like, fuel you. You know how you become obsessed with something and you just, it it transforms you into it? that I thought that book, book would have grounded him, though. That's interesting that you said that. I thought that book would have gave him that, okay, it's not just me feeling. But you're right. I mean. It's the it, same it book. A lot, yeah. It's, 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 it's the same book. The other book he mentioned was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I I, I wanted to know, did, did y'all, when y'all spoke to him today, did y'all bring that book up? How did he, I've read that. That's the one book I've probably read six times. Anytime I get into a reading funk, I go back to it. I stop at the ending. I never read the last 20 pages because I hate how it ends. But that book just speaks to me. Um, and I want to know what his thoughts about that I mean, he, book. He, I can't speak for him directly, but he definitely resonates with that fighter spirit, right? Um, he talked about he was Tupac and Malcolm X over and over again. Like, those were his two references, you know? Mm. And, and he did say Malcolm X spoke to him. He also said something that was very interesting. He said he didn't know that Stevie Wonder, <laughs> Michael Jackson, Malcolm X, and all these people were he American. He was Somali. Until he went to America. That's how that propaganda worked. 
Wow. He was saying he was he was telling us the the impact of the black American culture over the world. Mm. Okay, hold on one second. Hold on one second. <laughs> so he said that he didn't know that those people were not Somalian until he came to America, but he came to America when he was no, like seven. Was no, he came to America at 15. 15. Yeah, he was 15. And in, in, in yeah, Somalia, was the land was as far as I thought he was see. 13 when he fell on the bike. When he was when he fell on when the bike, by yes. The car. Yes, well, he, oh, he, he was, wasn't he? You know how they do it in books, Teresa. He did say he was 15, though. That's what he said today. Yeah, you know, you know how the books be, Teresa. You know how Maybe that's age you found out. Brother said he working. I he guess this book in 18 days. But that's kind of telling because what is was, what is saying is that um, in the propaganda, right? The black propaganda, everything positive is in your country, and everything negative is in those countries far away. And that's something we've, I guess, we both got like. All the good blacks are in America, you black people. So don't go to Africa because they starving, they dirty, they got flies on them, they scratching their booty, they doing all types of craziness. And then the flip side of Somalia is like, man, those Americans are violent. They kill each other. They thugs. But these singers right here, they probably Somalian. The Stevie Wonder guy, he's probably Somalian because listen to his poetry of his song. And so like the prop, the overall propaganda is that that blackness over there is horrible no matter who it is it's other than you so it's horrible so I don't know that just kind of goes into that whole spirit of racism the zeitgeist of white supremacy racism thank you for listening click subscribe share with your friends give us a five star rating and join us back next week as we wrap up the three part discussion with the interview with the author Mr. Boyer J. Farrell